looking at a book that is uh, interesting, to say the least. And we're in a context that is uh, very, very interesting in light of the community, the society that we live in. Uh, we are in a, uh, a society of litigation. Uh, I know by comments that have been made and questions that have been asked uh, on this text that uh, we struggle with this. And uh, in light of that, my message has expanded. And everybody's saying, gee, great. We already thought it was expanded. Now you're telling us it is. And, and, and what has happened is, and I'll deal with this next week, but uh, should the Lord tarry, and uh, I get back from California, but uh, it's, uh, I was thinking about the attitude of a Christian. The attitude of a Christian. It's not in your outline, but I wanted to bring that to you because um, 2 Corinthians 5 says that we are new creations. And, and, and we all use it. The Baptists have that great phenomenal term, you must be born again. Uh, and I agree, absolutely. But I have a t- question What is your attitude? Okay, because one of the things that I've learned uh, in my 47 years of life is attitude is your own willful choice. No one gives you a bad attitude. No one can make you have a bad attitude. No one can change your attitude. It is something that is yours. It's personal. And yet, when I look at this text, I ask myself, What's my attitude? This church in Corinth is in a, a society that's similar to ours, very much similar to ours, okay? Especially when it comes to litigation. Uh, I shared with you from Roman law and history, uh, the, the society that existed and how the court systems in the land of Greece were, uh, were working, and yet the judges had given the churches uh, sort of their own oversight because they considered Christianity nothing more than just a form of Judaism. And you have them, they considered them nasty little Jews, have their own little laws, let them mitigate their own little laws. And uh, you see that a lot uh, through Scripture. Uh, You see that a lot through history. But what is happening here uh, is that uh, someone would have a matter, a legal matter, possibly even a good concern, and they would take it to court. Take it to court. We do that in our society today. I was listening to a guy on uh, talk radio yesterday who happens to be a lawyer. I like to hear lawyers because once you hear lawyers, you understand their motivating aspect. Uh, This guy is a trial lawyer. And when I was listening to him, it was very clear that it was the little man and he was the only protection against the mean, evil business and corruptive systems of our country and and just you take the little individual and therefore you have to deal with a lawyer to make sure that the little man don't get squashed is that true do you believe that's true some of you are not going to acknowledge me i'm not going to say okay i believe that if you're a christian um There's no way it's true. Absolutely no way it's true. Okay? And and I think it'll come out in the next few weeks and possibly step into it today. The problem with the church in Corinth may be the problem that exists with some of you today. There was a misunderstanding of the position of the church. That was verses 1 through 6. He's almost um, says, you know, how dare you take your problems... Before the unjust, the unsaved, the unrighteous. Okay? Because even the Jews at the time of the writing of this letter believed that every single problem that existed was dealt with in the Word of God. An interesting concept, don't you think? 
I think it's fascinating. Are we so cultured today and our civilization is so articulate, so civilized, so intellectual that we have created problems that are not dealt with in the Word of God? Because, you know, this is an old book. And we have become quite a bit more intelligent than, say, the philosophers of the day at the time of the writing of the letter to the Corinthian church. But he says, how dare you take these matters before a court? Because they didn't understand the position of the church. The position of the church is this. Do you not know that you will judge the world? You will set in rule over the world. You will set in dominion. You will set in judgment. You will make the yes-no decisions over the world. Did you know that? Not only that, the angelic host you will set in dominion over. Well, but yeah, that's easy to understand, and I can argue with that because, you know, that's in the future. I have my incarnate body. It doesn't have the ability to sin. Therefore, I have that, and then, you know, I'll be there. I will know as I am known. I'm in his presence. So if I do run into a tough legal matter, I can say, Jesus, what should I do? (laughs) Okay. So, you know, in the future, I understand how all that works. Then he makes this statement in verse 4. You can appoint judges who are no of count. He says that you can literally take the least Christian and make a truer judgment than any unrighteous man, any educated unrighteous man, any legal unrighteous man. The least Christian, the newest infant in Christ has more discretion, more discernment and more wisdom. He's already dealt with that in in chapter two and three. I've got to ask you a question. How many of you believe that? And we, we would all believe it, but now then I got to ask, because I always got that other question. You know how I am. I always got question B. How many of you are going to trust that? See the difference? And that's what he says. You don't understand the, the, the church. And then as I was going into the next one, understanding the right attitude. Because the church in Corinth misunderstood the attitude of a Christian. Okay? And and I I want to ask you a question because I have people come up and ask me, what is the will of God? And then they may have a little scenario that's playing out and I'll say, your holiness. That's the will of God for every child of God. You know what my passion in life is? Your holiness. Every single one of you. I don't care how young you are. I don't care how old you are. That's my biggest concern in life. That's the thing that I lose my most sleep over. That's the thing that drives me to my knees in prayer for on behalf of every one of you. That's the thing that drives me to the word to dig the deep, the depths of the mind of God is your holiness. Your holiness. That's my passion. That's, that's that uh, nuclear fission thing in me that makes Terry run. Why? Because my philosophy of ministry is simple. Some people say too simple. Present every man complete in Christ. I know what that is. Your holiness. Every person that I deal with, I'm looking for one, one thing, one thing only. I don't care who you are. I don't care what problem you bring to me. I don't care who has offended you. I don't care what trial has hit your life. I don't care what thing you're suffering through. I don't care about what heartache you're dealing with. I don't care about what decision you're dealing with. All I look to is your holiness. And I can take every single decision in my life and say, will this... Add to my holiness or shame my Lord? I don't care what the decision is. Think about it. How is it more complicated than that? I'll let you ponder it. I've had more time to ponder it. You got he's throwing us out here and he's been thinking about it for weeks. No, actually for about years. Okay, and so you're and some of you are kind of like holiness, everything, right? Yes, that's it. Listen, and I want you to understand something. You can't blame somebody else. Your personal holiness is yours. It's not your spouse's. It's not your children's. You know what? It's not your employer's. It's not even the traffic jam you may be sitting in. 
Your personal holiness is yours. Because in the same text that says you are new creation in Christ, chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians, it also says this, each one of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of what we have done in the body. Where's that? The body of Christ. And the only way you're effective in the body of Christ is based on your standard of holiness. He will not take someone shaming him and say, let me put that person forward to be used. He will cleanse it. He will prune it, John 15 says. So it does what? There's much fruit. When he has finished that process, he'll set it out there and use it when he's ready. Or he'll hold on to it until he's ready. It's not really that complicated. We like to think it's complicated. But those who are being used in, in by the king can understand that they're striving for personal holiness. It's that simple. My heart of a pastor is the personal holiness of the people that he has oversight. That's what pastor means. Okay? Pastor's not a noun. It's a verb. It's a shepherd. And when, it, when you're raising sheep, what are you trying to do? What is the point of raising sheep? When you have oversight, let's say you're a hireling, all right? I've been hired by somebody to oversee his flock, okay? What is the point that I'm supposed to do? What, what would be the, uh, a successful shepherd? You protect them because if you give you 100, you don't want to say, well, we got 72 left because the mountain lion and the, and the, and the wolf came in. No, you want to, he gives you 100 or 10 or 3, you make sure. Not only that, what do you want to do? Keep them healthy, okay? What else do I want to do with it? I want to make sure that the product of that sheep is a, a product that can be used, wool. I want a good, clean wool. I want a wool that doesn't have bugs in it. Okay, I want a wool that would be honorable to lay before a merchant and say, you can weave this into a very, very fine garment. Okay, you don't bring old matted lanolin. You know what lanolin is? Okay, that's, sheep have that and they produce it. Okay, it's a water repellent, but it's a... It's like uh, a, 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 a hot wax, and you have to get it, yeah, you have to get it off of them. So you don't want to take an old matted wool and lay it up there and say, check this out, okay? Because you ever seen it? What would stick to it? Better yet, what wouldn't? Okay? Everything of the world would do what? It's matted down to it. So what would be the shepherd's responsibility? Clean it off. Feed my sheep. Tend my sheep. Why? I need to present the sheep to the owner as something that I cherished as much as he cherished. And there's only one way you can do that in the body of Christ. Your holiness. Okay? Do we understand the attitude of a Christian? Now, some of you who are students of Scripture will say yes. But you always know i got another one right here, don't I? Okay, I'm just going to go ahead and say yes. Uh, what does the great philosopher say? Make my day. I don't think I was a philosopher, was it? Everybody know what Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says? Everybody? Okay. If you don't know, turn. It says, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God... Do what? Present yourself as holy and pure. This is your act of worship. That sounds simple. All right? How do I achieve holy and pure? Not conform to what? Ooh. But what? Renewing your mind. How you doing? Well, I read my Bible this morning. 
I read my Bible every day. Let me ask you a question. Are you conformed to the world? Put it to you this way. Can the world see the difference in you? Because let me tell you something. If you're not conformed to the world, you should be able to stand out pretty much like a sore thumb. Because to the world, you will be a sore thumb. A nasty sore thumb. Here's what happens to us in America today. And this I, I kind of share, and I think about going to the lands of Russia. Um, Tuesday, we had uh, some leaders from different churches and some places came down uh, to meet with it. And uh, one of the guys from SGA had just gotten back Monday night from Russia. Had literally flown uh, Moscow, Chicago, Denver, and drove down here. Uh, and he looked like it. <laughs> You're still on Russia time. That was yesterday, wasn't it? Because <laughs> you're a day late or something. But anyway, he looked pretty haggard. Um, and and then he, he earned it. I mean, um, but he, he, he was talking about meeting with some brothers, and he says that they pray for us here in America. And, and Orel has 50% is below poverty level, okay, uh, in, in this the state of Orel. So half of it is below, um, and I'm not even going to tell you what the poverty level is because then you just really, anyway, he says, we pray for you in America. He says, for you are under greater spiritual attack than we were even under communism. And we pray that your eyes would be open because you don't see. Now, let me ask you a question. When you walked in here today, do you feel persecuted? Do you feel like the world hates you? Huh? Do you feel like that, you know, that they just as soon see you dead? What do you conform to? Just a question. I can show up in pastor's meeting and have guys look at me and wish I was dead. <laughs> it's my smile. We hold on to stuff. You ever notice that? What are you willing to fight for in your life? What is important in your life right now? What is the one thing right now that you've got that you ref- I'll fight to the death? Ask yourself how much of it's temporal. How much is it temporal? How many of you will be willing to put that same energy to fight for your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Because that's what this text is dealing with. I mean, it's litigation in the church, absolutely. I know what the text is. But the truth of the matter is, when we jump into verses 7 and 8, um, he says it's already a defeat for you. It's a defeat for you because of the purpose that why are you fighting? Why are you even considering litigation? You know, such and such owes me X amount of money. I remember as a, several times as a contractor, um, before Founders Village was built, uh, some of you may not remember that, um, all of the models I built. Uh, I literally had a crew uh, framed and trimmed, framed and trimmed, framed and trimmed. They just followed one after the other. Um, and um, they, uh, they cheated me. <laughs> um, the last nine houses I built, I ended up 10 cents on the dollar. Okay, I paid the people that was working for me. Uh, and, and they got all their money, but I lost everything uh, in a year's time. I shared that with you, to, to some of you. Uh, it was my uh, first solid year of understanding who Christ was. Uh, the year before I understood, well, the first year of my salvation, I, I made about $75,000, and, and that's what I cleared. That was my money, and I said, I love you, Jesus. Okay? <laughs> you are such a God. I mean, this is awesome. Uh, the second year of my salvation, I made $5,200. <laughs> and uh, my response was, 
Yo, Jesus, where'd you go? Okay, because it's obvious that Richmond Holmes has cheated me blind. Uh, and then, you know, I had some condos I was doing up in uh, Parker, uh, and uh, Pulte got their pound of flesh too. And I said, Lord, um, do I need to keep you up to date on all of this? Uh, how am I supposed to tithe? Okay, I mean, you know, would you rather like a tithe out of 75,000 or do you want to tithe out of 5,200? Come on, Lord, I know that your, your plans are not my ways, but this, just, this defies logic. Okay. Uh, I also had a guy I worked for subcontracted as an electrician. My last six months of work with him, I never received a dime for that six weeks or six months. What do I do about that? Now, if I told you what I did about two of them, you think I was goofy. Okay, I called Andy up and I told him, don't worry about it. It's obvious you need it more than I did. I called the district regional manager for Pulte up and I told him, uh, don't worry about it. Don't sweat it. Why? Because one morning I woke up and had a little Toyota pickup truck, okay, a little flatbed Toyota pickup truck, and everything I owned sat in the seat next to me. And all I could think of is, we're doing good. <laughs> you know, we're minimizing our resources. I like this. But the Lord showed me that He had paid a debt that I could never pay. There was a reason. Let me ask you a question. What is your attitude? What is your attitude about hanging on to the things of this world? I was reading one author, and he's talking about holding on to all that we have and maintaining it so that we can be effective in ministry. Okay, this is the common stance that is taken. You know, if I've got this, this, and this, then I can minister more effectively. He says, every person that I have met has that mentality. In that struggle, crucify their own souls. Unquote. Crucify their own souls. Why? Let me ask you a question. Does the Lord know your needs before you have need of them? Now, you're all going to shake your head. And I, you know that I'm going to say, does your life validate that? Okay, let me ask, I'll ask it in this. Do you believe that you need to inform him of your needs? Some believe that, you know, I'm here, I am your information center, Lord, because it's obvious of how you're dealing with me that you're not getting the information quick enough. Right? Let me ask you a question. Does he take care of the grass of the field? Does he take care of the flower that fades away? How about clothing of the lilies? Does he do a good job with that? Better than Solomon was arraigned. How about the feeding of the birds? Right? Because if they don't have their 401k and if they're not in a union shop, how do they get fed? You think he'll take care of you? You think he'll take care of you that he died for? Well, what if you're looking for, uh, uh, you know, if I had the right spouse, you know what? All you're going to do is be bonding with another sinner. Okay? It kind of loses its luster when you think of it that way. Yeah, I've got another piece of flesh to deal with. Right? Right? Well, what, well, if I do, if I have this, will will Really? But he says, in Christ you have all you need for life and godliness. 
But, you know, I need to... Do you? Why do we struggle with the things of this world? Maybe if you fight to keep what somebody else took, maybe you didn't need it anyway. What? But we're supposed to have a a home and two and a half bath and two and a half car and two and a half kids and right? What'd you just conform yourself to? You know, one of the joys that I have seen in this fellowship, and uh, and, and I'm allowed to do this because I have seniority, <laughs> is that many years ago I remember meeting with the elders. And we were talking about missionaries and sending people out. And the comment that kind of went through the, uh, um, the elder body at that time is, there ain't nobody in this church going anywhere. They're willing to give to send somebody. But you ain't going to get anybody to go. Okay, that was a statement that was made. You know what? And that kind of stuck with me. And when I sat and thought about it for a while, you know what? <laughs> They're right. Sorry. I'm allowed to laugh about it. But you know what? I've seen this body change. And I believe that now if the door is open for some of you to go, some of you would go. I know some of you are wanting to do some things now, and yet you just feel like you're stuck because I don't know why you feel that way. Some people just feel stuck. Um, hmm. Sometimes we're fighting for something we don't need. Perhaps it's a stumbling block that is in your life and the Lord is gently and lovingly getting ready to slap you silly, (laughs) saying, you don't need that. Lay it down. Watch what I do. Verse 7, he says, you're already defeated. Keep your context. Okay? Brethren is suing brethren. But I want to back you up and show you something. Okay? Any one of you have a case against his... That's not the ter- phrase in the original language. Neighbor. Who's your neighbor? Anybody that ain't you. That's your neighbor. So if you've got somebody, he's covering two with one text. He says, whether it be your neighbor or a saint. What do you do with it? He says, you're shamed. You're shamed. Why? And I think that the thing that he's trying to emphasize here, and if you look at the whole text of the book of Corinthians, I think Corinthians bears it out. This is an arrogant, boastful bunch of people. If you're arrogant and boastful, what leaves the building first? Love. Love leaves. Love cannot exist in the sphere of pride. It's impossible. Impossible. Think about it. It's impossible. You know what? He, he makes a statement here. He says, why not? Now, think about what Paul's saying. All right, now, I, I know we want to think about Corinth and the paganism and the, these people who were both. But think about what he just says to the saints. Okay? Why not? Okay? Rather be wronged. Actually, it literally means robbed. Why not just be robbed? Better yet, why not rather be defrauded? Well, you know, we have our rights. We don't want to be doormats. We don't want to da-da-da. Is that what it says? What's the attitude there? Let me explain something to you who, who... who look at that and say, what? Wronged? Robbed? Defrauded? What? But we all know that you're just enabling them, people. You're allowing them to do that, and they're just going to continue doing that. If I don't stop it, who's going to stop it? Right? You're just an enabler. You're just an enabler. Right? Let me explain something to you. Is God on his throne? 
Are we sure? He didn't, he didn't take like a vacation and go to the other side of creation and maybe didn't see me get robbed or defrauded? Let me ask you a question. If you're saved, will God take care of you? Did you know that God promises that in the midst of the famine, my people shall eat? That's biblical. Well, but you don't understand. There's times when you, God helps those who help themselves. If I'm not willing to, really. I find it exciting to be a Christian just from this standpoint. To know that God is operating on my behalf. Okay? Have, did you ever... Uh, you know, we don't do this anymore. When I was growing up, we used to get a bunch of kids in the neighborhood and relatives and cousins and stuff like that and choose up baseball teams or football teams. You ever do that? Some of you did, some of you didn't. But we choose up sides, right? And there was always one or two that everybody wanted to make sure was on my side. You know, the one who could, you knew was a good, good-to-go-to home run hitter, could catch athletic, maybe was a good running back quarterback or something to that effect, Right? And so when you chose upside, you'd have two guys. You ever flip the bat backwards, the hands on it? Never mind. Um, anyway, you'd choose upsides and because you wanted to choose first because there was always one that was the premier. I want that one. I didn't take all the rest of the yucky ones. Just give me the one good one. Right? You know God is on our side? You don't have to flip a bat. You don't have to worry about whether you get to choose first or nothing. He's on our side. You choose up teams and... Uh, uh, have you ever thought about it? I take God, my first choice. Now I want you to think about it. When you look around your life and make decisions, what do you take first is your first choice? He's on our side. Do you know that God invests His power, His wisdom on our behalf? Did you know that? He, he doesn't just spin you up, send you out and say, watch this. <laughs> this is going to be good. I, I don't understand. You were chosen before the foundations of the earth unto good deeds that he preordained. That means he did it. It's his power working through his people. So when you read the Apostle Paul says, why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? But we need to fight back because it says the meek is power under control. That's that Greek word. It's power under control. And therefore, every once in a while, I will exact my power under control. Through a lawyer? Through a lawyer? Ask yourself a question. Why is a lawyer in the legal profession? Please, if you really believe it is to help the downtrodden. <laughs> uh, that gives a whole new meaning to naive. You don't choose a vocation because you want to help the downtrodden. You choose a vocation for the money. Really? I do things because how much is in it? Do wrong. Take the wrong or fight back. Which one do you want to do? Would I, even to the point where this church would be defrauding brothers, taking them to court. Why? They want more than what is deserved. Think about it. You know what? Our court system uh, inflicted a huge penalty upon the tobacco industry. Why? Tell me why. Now, now let me ask you a question. I don't need no scientists. I don't need no research. I don't need anything like that, okay? I, I, don't, I don't care what all of the specialists say or anything. All right? I just want you to think with me and think with me just logically. 
Okay? If you take and inhale smoke into your lungs, is that good? All right? So I'm going to sue people who make a product that I can inhale that smoke because they didn't tell me it was bad for me? Am I, I, you know, I know there's no biblical precedence for that and I can't bear truth, but I'm just trying to look at it from a logical standpoint. Logic says, if a house is on fire, run in and inhale, right? Why? Because it's good for you? So I'll take a stick, set it on fire, and I'll inhale it. Therefore, what do you mean it's bad for me? Why did they sue? We're talking billions of dollars. Okay? What's the court system set up, the civil litigation set up for in this day and age in our country? Why would I take a person to court? Well, you just don't understand. I don't want to enable them. Really? How how many millions did the lady get for the spilled cup of coffee at McDonald's? She must have, like, expensive laundry. I mean, the most I ever spent in a year was $100 on laundry. I don't understand that. Why did they do it? Litigation. Why not be defrauded? Why not be robbed? Why not be wronged? Well... What is the attitude of a Christian? What should be the attitude of a Christian? Let me give you some texts that deal with this. Okay? Go to Matthew 18. Matthew 18. And we'll start at verse 21. I want everybody to go there. Because I want you to read your Bible. That way, if you don't like me, you're rejecting the truth. Okay, not that I'm truth, I'm just going to show you what the Bible says. All right, look at verse 21. Matthew's Gospel, verse chapter 18. Most of you who've said under my teaching should remember this. We studied this in eternity past. All right? Peter came to him, that would be Jesus. Lord, Peter had taken his spiritual pill. He'd had his morning devotions. He had had his quiet time, and he goes to the Lord, and he says, How often shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Boy, Peter, gracious, isn't he? I will forgive you seven times. What is the Lord's response? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to... 70 times 7. Now, I immediately know people now that will go get a notebook to keep their 490 count. I do. All right. It says it right there. It's literal. 490 times. One, two, three. So we need to read on. Okay. Um, Look what he says. What does verse 23 say? For this reason, what reason was that? Forgiveness. Okay? What is the example that is given? What, well, but you know, if I'm in higher criticism, the kingdom of heaven, that could possibly be that time of the millennial reign of the thousand years. Or the kingdom of heaven could be that time after the millennial reign when we are all in his presence, we all have the uniform body and all the rest of it. What is he speaking of as the kingdom of heaven? Okay, what, what is the first thing when you think about a kingdom, what do you think about? A king. Okay, a monarchy. Okay, why is he called the Lord Jesus Christ? Curios. Why? He's king. So, am I expecting the kingdom of heaven? Is it, it, did it exist during his three and a half years of ministry? Or, 
Does it exist now? Which is it? Yes, it is. A child of God has new authority. Who is it? The King of kings, the Lord of lords. All right? Now go back to Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. 2 says, do not be conformed to that authority. Who rules the world? The father of lies. He's, he's, got, a, he's got a group of followers. Okay? So where's the kingdom of heaven now? Right here. In the sphere of the influence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? We're all got that down, all right? For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts of his slaves. All right, so he says, let me illustrate to you what the kingdom of heaven looks like. All right? He began to settle them, and one owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Okay? A talent, one talent, okay, was equal to 1,000 weeks of work. Got that? 1,000 weeks of work. This guy owed 10,000 talents, which is about 193,000 years of work. Okay? So when I look at that, I immediately look at an embezzler. Okay? This guy had a kingdom. This guy's got half of it and spin it. All right? Why do I say he spin it? Well, look what it says. He did not have the means to repay. (laughs) It's obvious that he took 193,000 years of work and spent it. Should have been a little more obvious than searching the books. Okay, right? So what would you call it? Debt. Right? That's even more than like compound interest. Look what he says he does. Um, since he did not have the means to repay it, verse 25, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and his children and all that he had as repayment be made. All right, basically what happened is the king looked at it and said, this guy owes me 10,000 talents. There's no way he can sell it. He can ever settle this debt. So if I look at my accounting, it's obvious he's an embezzler. He has been stealing. Okay? You just can't get that kind of in debt. So he's been stealing some stuff. All right, it's obvious I don't want this man around and I'm not going to get my money back. So if I sell him and sell his possessions and his family, I'll recoup a very minimal portion of my losses, but he'll be gone and I don't have to worry about it anymore. That's good business sense. Look what he does. The slave in verse 26, he fell to the ground and he prostrated himself. You know what another word for prostrate there is in the Greek? Worshipped. Because to worship means to prostrate yourself. Okay? Before him saying, have patience, I will repay you everything. Now there's a definition of a workaholic. I owe 193,000 years of wages and I promise I'll pay you. There's some serious overtime going on in that boy's life. Okay? Lord of the slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him his debt. That's amazing. That's amazing. Almost 200,000 years of debt you owe me. It's forgiven. Cool. Cool. Look what the slave did. Verse 28. Went out, found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. What is a hundred denarii? A denarii is um, a day's work. Okay? So if you owed a hundred denarii, you owed a hundred days work. All right. No problem. He seized him and began to choke him. (laughs) Sounds like Baptist to me. Um, Saying, pay me back what you owe. Okay, and the guy said, okay, (laughs) I'm trying. All right. 
He fell to the ground, began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me, I will what? I'll pay you. But he was unwilling. And he went and threw him in prison until he could pay back what was owed. Okay? Cool, huh? You owe me 100 days? And, I, you know, you see, here's the emphasis behind this guy. Listen, I owe the king 200,000 years worth of wages. I ain't got time to wait on your 100 days that you owe me. You know, what happens if the king changes his mind, right? Guess what happened in verse 31? This is what you call the grace fine. It's spread out. Okay? So his fellow slaves saw what had happened, and they were deeply grieved, and they came and reported to the Lord all that had happened. Uh Uh-oh. What happened? Verse 32. Summoning him, the Lord called his slave back. Said to him, You're wicked, slave. I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? You can take that picture right there if you want to take slave. Take that out and put brethren in there and you have the same picture. Anybody here have a, offend you? Anybody here hurt you? Anybody here cheat you? Anybody here cause you grief? What would be the answer to that? Check it out, verse 35. Just in case you're pondering and debating what your answer and response should be. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you uh, if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Oh, I want you to note in from your heart. I'm sorry and you're forgiven is a piece of cake to say. It's a whole different bag of beans to do. I know a lot of people say you're forgiven. But don't think I ain't keeping my eye on you. Don't think I ain't got my record back here. I'm going to hide it back here so you can't see. Because as soon as you do something wrong, I'm going to throw it back up. See, like that guy? I remembered. How can you say you forgave from the heart? See, the life of a Christian is marked by forgiveness. Someone who does something against me, whether it be monetarily or they tear up something of mine, whatever it would be, is that of forgiveness. Well, what about if it's somebody who just does me wrong? All right, chapter 5, Matthew's Gospel. Chapter 5, just to the left a little bit. Chapter 5, beginning in verse 38. You've heard this. Haven't you? An eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. He's quoting scripture. We like that one. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. I'm going to go up and give him boink right in the eye. Right? Leviticus and Deuteronomy, he's quoting. We all know it. It's eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist a evil person or a non-brother. It would be a non-believer. But whoever slaps your right cheek, turn over to him, the other one also. Hmm. If anyone wishes to sue you to take your shirt, what does it say do? Get better defense, legal defense. Get the dream team or whatever. What does it say to do? Okay, you're, if in an agricultural society that they lived in, you had a, a, a shirt, a tunic that you would wear every day, and then you had a coat, a cloak that you could wear if it got cold or started raining, and it also acted as a bed, okay, a bedroll. So what he's saying is, is if they're willing to steal your shirt, why should you give them? Give them your bed too. Give it all to them. Now ask yourself a question. Am I conformed to this world? That don't make sense, does it? Read on. Whoever forces you to go one mile, note the term there, forces you to go one mile. They're calling on you to do something that's going to be laborious. It's going to take your time you don't want to do. And they're going to force you into that position. 
What should you do? Twice as much. Twice as much. See, you and I have fallen into all the things that we have. You don't have anything. It's all the Lord's. I am but a steward of it. See, if I have the right attitude, take it. Take it. But they will take you for everything. Who's on the throne? George Bush isn't on the throne. Saddam's in the hole. (laughs) Was. (laughs) Do you see what I'm saying? Grab a hold of that. Who's on the throne? Do you think that Job is a fairy tale? Is Job a literal, true historical event? Jesus thought so. See, if I have... Why do I spend so much energy trying to protect my possessions, my property, instead of protecting my relationship with my Lord? How many of you in this day and age, in this room right now, the number one responsibility energy that I I expend is for the protection of my relationship with my Father? Listen to us. Listen to the things that twist us up. Listen to the things that make us nervous. Listen to the things we have anxiety over. Take your list and ask yourself how much of it's temporal, how much of it's eternal. I mean, uh, man, how practical is it? Let me show you another text, just in case. Go to the book of Philippians. Book of Philippians. What time is it? Oh, we have plenty of time. And we'll start. I just kind of want to touch on some stuff. But I want you to think about this. Paul gives a phenomenal, we're in chapter 2, a phenomenal discourse in chapter 1. That's where, to me, for me, I just talk for a living. I'm a professional, can you tell? All right, verse 21, for to me, how forthself art thou? (laughs) Never mind. For to me, to live is Christ. What does it say after that? How many of us are working about worried about preserving our lives? Well, I'm just going to let you labor with that one. For if I live on in this flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. I am hard-pressed from both directions, having desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. That's interesting. I mean, he gives you a bunch of stuff there. That's an amazing stuff. Look what he says in chapter 2, beginning there in verse 1. Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, okay, if there's anything in Christ that can encourage, if there is any consolation of love, got that? If there is any fellowship of the Spirit. He's saying if you take the most minute... Okay, that's what he's getting at. He's saying, if you've got just a little bit of fellowship with the Spirit, and you just got a little bit of love that's supernatural from God, just a little bit, and we're talking drop, little drop, eyedropper of either of these, uh, of the three, or, or the encouragement that Christ has given you, knowing that you stand eternally forgiven. I mean, that's kind of encouraging. Well, I mean, it is for me. All right? If I've got any of these, any affection or compassion, any, just, you know, just a little bit, That's all you need. Make my joy complete. How? Being of the same mind. Look what he says next. Maintaining the same love. You know what's neat about that? It doesn't say generate it. 
It doesn't say create it. It doesn't say go find it. It doesn't say, you know, once you get so many precept classes taken, you'll have it. It doesn't say if you can exegete, you've got it. It says do what? Maintain that love. How? United in the Spirit, intent on one purpose. Okay, you ready? I've got an eyedropper of the above. All right, that's all I got. I know that I have love. I know I have unity. It's already there. He's already given it to me. It's just a little drop. A little bit. What does it say? Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but in humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Hmm. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also the interests of others. How are we doing? Brother and sister, I'll tell you what, they don't get no more practical than this. Listen, if I'm doing this, I don't have, I can, you know what? Get ready. Are you ready? If I take that and say that is the word of God, I'm not even going to wrestle with it. I can take chapter 6 out of my Bible completely. I can just cut it foot, 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 out and throw it away. I don't ever have to ever look at chapter 6 ever again. I don't ever have to worry about litigation. You know what? You can take chapter 5 out. Immorality in the church. Out. Why? What would be the most important thing in your life? Everybody else. Who? It says consider others more important than yourself. Who would others be? Well, I'm thinking that there must be some kind. Is that in present imperative, action, middle voice, something? It's got to be something in there, meaning my immediate family, right? No, sorry. I already tried it. I know. What is he saying? Have this attitude in you. Whose attitude? Let me tell you something. You don't think Jesus Christ wasn't bummed out to come down here. You're mistaken. To walk among us where everybody in the world has an enormous self-esteem and considers themselves more important. I ain't met nobody who does it. They are all focused on self. Why? It is pride. Why? I don't love. I love what I can get for me. And he says, is that, the, is that the attitude of Christ? Now, I'll take you back to the text here. Who's re- re- writing this? Well, that's Christ. You know, that's deity incarnate. He can do that. Who's writing this? Okay, now he goes through and he gives you a picture of what that looks like. It's verses 6 and following. Who existed in a form, he emptied himself, taking on the form of a bond, uh, bond servant, being made in the likeness of man, found, being found in the appearance of a man. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Okay, for this reason, God exalted him highly. That's good stuff. I mean, that's it all. It's all there. Holding fast to the word of life. So that, verse 16, that in the day of Christ I will have no reason to glory because I did not run in vain or toil in vain, but even I am being poured out as a drink offering. Do you understand what is being said there? You know what a drink offering is? Everything else is done. It's all done. Everything else is done. Sacrifice is done. The burnt offering is done. The incense is done. Everything's done. Basically, you're taking the leftover wine, you're going, throwing it on there. And he says, I am the, that's it. See, when you have the mind that says, I am nothing but a drink offering being poured out by God, all you can do is consider others more important than yourself. Once you do that, you are only walking in Christ Jesus because that is the attitude of the Lord Jesus Christ. That goes back to what I stated is your personal holiness. When you collectively can consider everybody else around you more important than yourself. 
My sacrifice of time, my sacrifice of prayer, my sacrifice of of being involved, my sacrifice of being there, as Paul said in the church in Colossae, that that I could see your face, that I'm being an encouragement. And you cannot do that unless you're walking in Christ and holiness. It's impossible. Try it. Marital counseling. That's the verse I always give. Do nothing with vain conceit or selfish ambition, but in all humility of mind, regard one another more one another more important than yourselves. You'll never have an argument ever in your marriage. Ever. You, you take that and live that, you'll never have an argument with anybody. You'll never give anybody half a peace sign in rush hour traffic. I'll let you guys think about it. Some of you are going, half a peace sign. What does that mean? But you, do you see what I'm saying? You'll never have any of that. Why? Because you're more important. It's obvious that you cut me off. You must be important to your job. Therefore, go ahead. It's a principle of forgiveness. Corinthians church didn't understand the position of the church nor the attitude of a saint. There's no reason to ever go to court to gain anything back. Period. You don't have to. As a pastor, as a teacher of the scriptures, I try to bring those all that are in whatever format I am teaching, whether it was when I was in Albuquerque, if I end up in Russia, uh, I get the privilege on the 12th of March to preach in the land of Christ's life and death. I will be preaching uh, two and a half miles from the outer wall of the old city of Jerusalem. Why? <laughs> Tourist trips to Israel are cheap right now. No, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Why? Anytime I teach, my only purpose is to bring people into submission to the Word of God. Why? What did I start this message out with? Personal holiness. My greatest concern is your personal holiness. How do you become holy? Submit to the Word of God. Teach the Word as to have people respond to it. See, it's the authority of the Word of God that you come under it. Why? Then you'll be holy. Okay? And it's not legalism. It is saying, you know what? Considering other people more important than myself, that's a great idea. I think that's amazing. Hallelujah. Why? Because you considered me more important than your place in heaven and came down here and died so that I may sit with you. I'll follow that. That is cool. I'm going to do that. Let me ask you a question. Anybody here like leftovers? Okay, I mean, you cherish leftovers more than you do the hot original meal. Huh? Okay, but what happens if the leftovers are small? Is that good? You don't have a lot of leftovers. Is that what you want? Oh, yeah. (laughs) You who take the name Christian this day, Do you prefer the leftovers of God's blessings or the great meal of God's blessing? I think too many in this church are happy with leftovers. We have a great deal of individualism in this church. I'm ministering for God, my way, my time. And I say, consider others more important than yourself. We can completely disregard, you know, the rest of this text. Why? We'll be doing it God's way. It's that simple. Let's pray. Father, I give you the praise for this time. Lord, uh, for your word and for my brother, Paul.
Father, the church in Corinth, uh, oh Lord, it looks so much like the church in America. Father, let us understand that it is easier. It is easier to be wronged and defrauded that your glory would shine than it is to battle. Father, we already have the victory. I give you the praise for the victory. Father, I pray for my fellow co-laborers, my fellow saints. There's so much going on in our world right now that is literally giving us the scraps of what we believe are your blessings. Father, let us not be deceived by that. Let us bow rejoicing in the fellowship of the saints. Father, the equipping of the brothers and sisters. That, Father, we in our, just our presence can be an encouragement. That, Father, we may lift one another up. Father, let the litigation of our lives be removed. That it is not what we need to fight for. But, Lord, it is solely and only your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, begin with me, my heart. I bow to you. And that, Father, as I look at this church in Corinth, I can learn the lessons that were taught there. And then, therefore, Lord, be it your good will, teach others. Father, we love you. And may that love grow. To your praise and glory. In Christ's name. Amen.